Good. Well, welcome this morning. Glad to have you here with us. It's um, really good to actually spend time together, particularly if you are on holidays. Maybe you're joining us online, maybe you're remotely camping somewhere, and uh, you are actually uh, looking at uh, the screen right now and you're engaging with us. Maybe you're here and you're on holidays, and I want to welcome you here because today we're actually finishing off a theme that will continue to carry on throughout the course of the year called Quietly Loud. So if you are a younger person here, I just want to say, I do remember being a student and having holidays. Does anyone else remember them? I don't have them anymore in quite the same way. But I do remember that as a student having holidays, it was one of the best times of the year. So I am so glad that you are here with us today, for those of you who are students and joining us. Because we've been considering this theme called Quietly Loud, and you see that we've got someone, a lady who's talking into a megaphone. And usually we use megaphones when we want to make ourselves heard, when we want to actually direct people or create a noise and be loud. But then you'll also notice that there's some bubbles coming out at the other end. And the bubbles coming out at the other end is to remind people that sometimes the best way to be loud is to actually be a little bit quiet and a little bit softer. And so we've been exploring over the last number of weeks about what does it look like for someone who has faith in Jesus, someone who loves God, what does it look like for them to be quietly loud in the world around about? Now, to help us with that, Steve and I hatched a plan this week. So if you're a younger person and you don't have one of these, I'd invite you to race outside right now, grab one, even if you're an older, younger person, or just maybe an older, older person. And if you'd like, you could actually get one of these because we decided we would create our own megaphones for you. And there's some images on either side that you can color in. We'll make sense of that in a little moment. And if you like, I added my own personalized parts to it, I put bubbles on mine today, just so you know that there's times in which you might reflect on in being louder or being quieter, and that might be the case. So if you have got one of these, colour away, and at the very end of the morning, we can staple some things together, and you can take one of these home with you, and you can direct whoever it is in your house to do whatever you'd like to do from when you're in your bedroom or whatever, and that would be so much fun. Steve and I thought that would be so much fun. Okay, so there is your megaphone if you'd like to join with us. But what we've been talking about is that what does it look like for someone who is a Jesus follower to actually live in a world that's become a little bit more complicated, a little bit more confused, and sometimes, if you like, it's actually a little bit more, if you, if you like, not only just confused or complicated, but it's become a lot more conflicted. Have you noticed it? What does it look like for someone who inhabits faith to live in a world that says all there is is here and now, that the most important person in the world is me, and if you have a faith, that you should just keep that to yourself and not share it publicly with anyone, anywhere. How do you actually inhabit that world? Well, when I was younger, the world seemed to be a whole lot clearer to me. Do you notice that for those who are a little bit older? Everything used to be black and white, right? Uh, There was an up and a down, a left and a right, a right and a wrong, a good and a bad, and that was easy to discern. But what I found as I've got a little bit older... It's actually a little bit harder. The black and white has become a little bit more grey. And the more people I've got to know and the more relationships I've got to form, I've realised that over time it's actually sometimes not altogether easy to discern what's up and down, left or right, right and wrong, black and white. 
So the question I want to ask us as we finish off the, the series this morning is, again, how does it look like? What does it look like? How does someone discern about how they should respond in the world in which we inhabit? When should we be quieter and when should we be louder? And to help us think about that right now, I want to play a little video that shows someone who is sitting an exam to become a police officer and see what they said. Easy, but then he got to question four. Question four went like this. You're on patrol when an explosion occurs in the gas main in a nearby street. On investigation, you find that a large hole has been blown in the footpath and there's an overturned van lying nearby. Inside the van, there's a strong smell of alcohol. Both occupants, a man and a woman, are injured. You recognize the woman as the wife of your divisional inspector who is at present away in the United States. A passing motorist stops to offer you assistance and you realize that he's a man who's wanted for armed robbery. Suddenly another man runs out of a nearby house shouting that his wife is expecting a baby and the shock of the explosion has made the birth imminent. Another man is crying for help having been blown into an adjacent canal by the explosion and he cannot swim. Describe in a few words what actions you would take. The officer thought for a moment, picked up his pen and wrote, I would take off my uniform and mingle with the crowd. <laughs> the challenge of living in our world and in this complicated, sometimes conflicted world is that there are times in which the easier thing seems to be just to mingle with the crowd. And yet for someone who follows Jesus, he says, what I'd like you to do is become kind of light to the world and function and act a little bit like salt that actually adds flavor and preserves things. That's how I would like you to be. Sometimes it's hard to know, though, when to be loud and when to be quiet. So help me out here for a minute. Last week, I was driving home on the Eastern Freeway, and I was in the outside lane, pretty much doing the speed limit, and I was just passing some of the cars on the inside to the left of me. There was another car just in front of me, so I couldn't go forward any faster than what it is because we were pretty much doing the speed limit. And then out of nowhere, another car came from behind. And it raced up behind me on the Eastern Freeway. And it was one of those cars with one of the drivers, had to be a man, who came. And you know how they get so close to you that they're kind of like kissing your bumper? That's what they were doing. And what's more than that, on top of that, they started to flash their lights. And as they were flashing their lights, they also pulled out to the outside lane to see how far ahead they could get if, and how many cars were ahead. And, of course, I was kind of stuck where I was because there were cars on the inside. There was another car in front, couldn't go any faster than that. And so as we were moving along then, after a couple of minutes maybe, the car in front pulled over to the left, and then the, the left-hand side was vacant for me. And so I was left in a situation where I had to make a decision. Was I going to pull into the left-hand lane so the car behind me kissing my bumper? Would I, would I do that quietly? Or would I do it loudly and perhaps as I was moving over into the left-hand side, maybe just apply the brakes a little bit just to signal to the guy behind me, 
It's kind of not cool to be kissing my bumper on the eastern freeway in the outside lane. Now, if you're a younger person here this morning, could you just sort of kind of call out, should have I been quieter or louder in that moment? Quieter. That's really good advice in hindsight. (laughs) Because what I decided to do in that moment was I decided, as I was indicating left, to maybe just apply a little bit of my brake just to signal to the person behind me that it's kind of not cool to be kissing my bumper. Well, there was a hornet's nest that exploded at that moment. The person in the car raced up in front of me, pulled in front straight away, pressed their brakes hard. Well, not so hard, but hard enough. Well, in that, I braked and then I pulled into the lane next door to which they raced up a second time, pulled their car over, pressed the brakes, to which then I had to slow down and I pulled into a third lane to which the person a third time raced their car ahead, pulled in front of me and pressed their brakes. Now, if you're a law enforcement officer in this room, it would have been nice if you had have been around at that moment... <laughs> but you weren't. And afterwards, as I was thinking about that hazardous situation, in hindsight, the better thing would have to have been quiet. You see, I'll remind us some words of Jesus that go like this. He was talking to some followers of his who he was saying, I want you to go out into the world around about you and I want you to understand that the world in which you habit, inhabit, is not always filled with nice people who are always pleasant, who don't come and kiss your bumper, if you like. In fact, the world in which you inhabit is filled with all kinds of different peoples at all different kinds of stages of life and experience. Sometimes the world can be hard and unnice and filled with even evil. And so he said these these words to his followers. I'm sending you out like sheep surrounded by wolves. It certainly felt like I was a sheep in that situation. So... I want you to do this. Be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. I want you to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Now, that imagery isn't altogether helpful for an Australian person who realises that eight out of the ten top most venomous snakes in the world inhabit our land. I don't think Jesus was thinking about Australia when he said these words because it's an unhelpful image. In fact, I went looking for an image of a serpent or a snake this week to put on the screen and I couldn't really find one that wouldn't maybe scare people. So I drew my own. (laughs) This is... The most friendly, warmest kind of serpenty snake you will ever find. In fact, this is probably one that you can pat and will cuddle up and sing you a song in the morning time. Okay, This is the kind of snake. But um, the image of a snake that Jesus has in his context, in his world, is far different from one of the eight most ten venomous snakes in the world. In fact, in the ancient world in which he lived, a snake or a serpent was a wise, knowledgeable creature filled with kind of the knowledge that would help them discern what is the wise, right thing to do at the, same, at, the, at the correct circumstance. And so there's this image, if you like, of the serpent as being, you need to actually be wise and thoughtful, unlike me on the Eastern Freeway the other night, and think through things before you act. You need to be like 
the snake, which reminds me of the time I went camping up in Bright many years ago. And we had all our family there, and we were sort of swimming in the Ovens River. And I remember standing in the Ovens River in the cool waters of the Ovens River up to my knees, watching my nieces and nephews on their lilos and tubes in front of me at the time. And it was a nice sunny afternoon, and as I was watching and just enjoying this moment, I felt a little nudge on the inside of my knee. And as I looked down, there was, lo and behold, a black snake that had nutmegged me, if you're into soccer, and swam between my legs and it was heading straight towards one of my nieces. <laughs> now, in that situation, should you be loud or quiet? <laughs> Actually... I got really loud in that moment, in fact, so loud that I can still remember their faces and the expressions on them because there were kids tumbling over, kids trying to get out in this most panicked state you could ever imagine. I think the snake was more frightened of the adults than the other way around. But see, when Jesus was talking to his followers, he's saying, what I want you to think of is to be wise and shrewd like a serpent. You're going to need to do that because in the world in which we have it, it's going to be kind of filled with wolves at times. And you're going to need to be having all of your wits around you. And then he goes on and he gives this other image. This is a far easier one to actually get an image of or a picture of. He says, I want you to be as innocent as a dove. Now, when I think of doves, I think of also pigeons. There they are. They're all together mixed in. The, the brilliant thing about a pigeon is that they're not an eagle that's kind of got a huge wingspan that'll swoop down and grab its prey. Um, the thing about a pigeon is that they're not a kookaburra that might see something with its sharp eyes and go and grab it from a long distance. Or one of those crows. You know the crows? They just know exactly when to pull out off the road at the right time. You can never get them. I didn't say that. <laughs> They're a pigeon. They kind of got their heads down and they peck at things and kind of not concerned about the things around about them. They're kind of like innocent like, like a dove or a pigeon. Which reminds me of a time, actually, in which um, before my wife and I, Bron, were, were married, we were out driving together. She was driving, and we were going down a country road, and, and there was a whole group of pigeons, a, a flock of pigeons. What, what are the pigeons? A flock of pigeons? All right, a flock of pigeons were on the road, and I said to her, be careful because there's a flock of pigeons on the road. And she said, that's okay, they'll get out of the way. And they didn't. <laughs> So we heard this, boom, boom. <laughs> and I looked behind, and there was more than pigeon poo on the road. It was kind of pig, pigeon. But so from that time on, I kind of decided, never stand in front of Bron when she's driving the car. <laughs> but the good thing about the pigeon is that it's this innocent kind of creature. It, it kind of is innocent when it comes to wrongdoing or evil. I remember many years ago when we started doing the community meals down at Croydon Railway Station. Uh, feeding people who were on the margins, um, finding it hard and tough to... And I remember inviting my oldest uh, to come along and help. He was in grade four at the time. And I remember him that night, he just dived in and he started to put hamburgers together and we're handing them to the clients that were coming. Right? Afterwards, as we were driving home in the car, I said, now, mate, what, what did you see tonight? And he said, well, Dad, one of the things I saw was that there was, this, there was a lady there who couldn't talk. Like, she couldn't speak English. I said, that's right. She was finding it really hard. She wasn't communicating in the language that you know. But how was she communicating? He said, well, she was making noises and she was pointing using her hands. 
I said, that's right. That's how she was communicating. I said, what else did you notice? And he said, Dad, I noticed that there was someone who was really dirty who, who I gave a hamburger to. Like, all his clothes were all messed up. His hair was messed up and he was sort of dirt on his face. I said, yeah, mate, what do you think? Why do you think that was? He said, oh, Dad, I reckon their boss would be really pleased with them. I said, what do you mean? He said, I reckon that they probably put in a hard day's work. (laughs) Well, the guy had been sleeping rough. Just reminded me in that moment that's innocence when it comes to evil in our perspective that can so easily be robbed away from so many. And Jesus says, if if you want to follow me, what I want you to do is be able to carry these two things simultaneously, together. I I want you to be wise and shrewd like a serpent. I want you to be like innocent when it comes to evil. You see, if there's too much innocence, though, you can become foolish. If, If there's too much shrewdness or, if you like, thinking and reasoning about that way, you might actually... Actually, if it's not balanced out with some innocence, you might become manipulative. And so you need to actually balance both. And often we can do one well. So Jesus went on and he said these words. Because he realized that as people inhabit the world around his world, that as they went about telling people about God has broken in. And when they prayed for people and they saw God act, or when they spoke about Jesus having risen from the dead, or when they declared that there is a God and he's alive and no matter who you are, where you've been, what you've done, you're welcome into his life and his kingdom and it's happening now. There'd be some people who would go, wow, I'd like to know about that. There'd be other people who might go, I'm not that interested, but get on with your own business. And there'd be some other people who would just get angry about that idea. And so they'd push back. In fact, they might even take you before authorities. And then what would you do? And so Jesus said these words, what you have to say will be given to you at that moment. In other words, don't worry about a prescripted words to say because it won't be you who's speaking. You see, it will be like the spirit of your father speaking in you. I take that to mean that when there's difficult circumstances in my life, that I need to be in the habit of, rather than pre-scripting something, pre-planning to pray and say, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? And it actually might be different for different Jesus followers. But to believe and trust that God by his spirit might prompt and nudge me to respond in a particular way, in a particular moment, in a particular circumstance, that might be hard. You see, this sounds really easy, doesn't it? But it's not always easy at all. It's not easy sometimes by any stretch of the measure. But I do know there's some times in which we should be loud. Check this out for a moment. Nobody likes you. Nobody wants you here. Don't give it to him. You're going to cry. Go on, cry. (laughs) Cry, 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 cry. Thank you, (laughs) N-A-B. Powerful, isn't it? 
just very clearly. There are some things in our world that you can go, I know that I need to have a voice on that particular thing. I get it very clearly. But there's others that are a little bit more complicated. I remember some years ago, a young person getting selected in a country league for a representative team. Some of you may have heard this before. And they were conflicted because there was a representative game that was going to happen on Good Friday. And they were a Jesus follower and they wanted to honour Jesus in what he'd done and the significance of that. And so the person was conflicted. The young man was conflicted. What should I do? Should I actually just remove myself and withdraw from playing or should I play? So we went to an older person, person wise in the tooth. He said, what do you think I should do? And I'm pretty confident this person, knowing him for many years, would have prayed and discerned and just listened for that prompting, that nudging. After thinking for a while, he said to him, you know what I think you should do? I think you should play. But when you play, what I'd like you to do, morning you play, I want you to get that black electrical tape, you know, and I want you to put it around your arm. And when people who are playing that day ask you, well, who are you remembering? Someone died then you can tell them about the significance of this day and who it was that you want to actually. I thought, how ingenious is that? I wish I was as smart as that. But it's not always like that, though, is it? Sometimes there's even harder things to know what to do. Last week, Bron and I were having a date day. We actually went into the city and we decided to walk the alleyways and laneways and coffee shops of the CBD. And as we're going through, we got to Burke Street and on the way down, there was a man who came up to us and he said, have you got some money? And in those moments, as I've been trying to get into the habit of, I just pause for a moment and I have that, you know, that, that little prayer, God, what would you? I said, mate, I actually don't have any. It's true because we're in a cashless society, right? I just got, I got plastic. And he said, oh, uh, have you got anything? Because uh, I, I, I want to buy a, a guitar. I said, really? You want to buy a guitar? And so I stopped. I said, do you play guitar? He said, yeah, I do. I said, who taught you how to play? He said, oh, I taught myself. I said, how did that work? Like, you know, and he said, no, when I was younger, I taught myself. I, I, and he listed off the songs. This song, this song, this song, this song, this song, this song, this song. Yeah. And I said, that's great. I said, so what are you going to do? He goes, what I want to do is I want to get the guitar just across the road. It's 200 bucks, mate. Uh, and, and, and if you come across and you buy it for me, uh, then I'll be able to get my life back together again. And I'll be able to, I said, you could start busking. He said, yeah, I know, I could start busking. I could make some. And now I'm going, hmm, what should I do? It's not always as easy then, is it? You know, in that moment at that time, I'd like to say, actually, we walked across the road and I slipped the plastic out and he went away with the guitar. But what I, I said to him is, mate, that's a really good thing. And I reckon you'll get there but no, today I'm I'm not going to buy you the guitar. Sounds really hard, I know, but as I walked away, then he said this to me. He said, mate, thanks for stopping and talking to me. And I reckon that's one of the things that we need to actually get our heads around more than anything else, is that whilst we're actually learning to be as innocent as doves and as shrewd as a serpent, because I'm talking to all the young people here now, right? is that we also need to lavish ourselves with huge, big doses of kindness. I say kindness because love is a word that's just become meaningless. It means all things to all people at different times. I mean, even in our English language, we say, I, I, I love apples, I, I love that car, 
I love sleeping in and I love you. But kindness is different. (coughs) Kindness doesn't cost us much, but it's always costly in some way. And I wonder what it would look like for Jesus folk to actually be known for being kind. Now, kids, at this moment, you can just block your ears for a sec. So I just want to talk to the grown-ups because I haven't been talking to them (coughs) so far. There was a column that was written in the Age and the Sydney Morning Herald a week ago by uh, an economist, or actually someone who talks about economics. And Ross Gittins asked this question in the article. Would Australia be better governed if our political leaders were practising Christians? Would the economy work any better? Some of you may have read it. don't agree with everything that he said in it, but boy, this is what he did say. He said, what do we expect of Jesus' people? Hmm. I think the main expectation of most people, certainly most young people, would, that be, uh, would be for Christians to be always on about their opposition to things, loudly saying no to things. And then he narrowed the focus and he said that Christ died on the cross to preserve a narrow view of sexual morality. Hmm. Important topic, but is that the main game? And then he went on and he said this, By default, this is the church's burning message to the nation. Really? He said, but that's not the Christianity I grew up with and experienced and seen some of my friends who are Jesus followers. He said these words in the Sydney Morning Herald on the AIDS. The imitation of Christ is above loving your neighbour as yourself and defining neighbour very broadly. That's my experience, he said, of what Christianity is foremostly should be on about. It's about honesty and meticulous truth-telling, about justice tempered by mercy, about forgiveness and fairness. And then he said this. And from what I read in the New Testament, it's about Jesus' preoccupation with the poor and strictures on the rich. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Agree. And then he went on and he said this, the economy, he concluded, would be fairer and we could all enjoy our prosperity with a clearer conscience if that was how and who, if they embraced those values, governed our economies. Ow. So I wonder, what does it mean for Jesus' people to be known by being the quietly loud ones and sometimes learning, when do I need to be quiet and what are the things I need to be most loud about? Dosed with huge expressions of kindness because when you understand kindness in a deeper way, it's costly that it often costs you very little. That's what changes human hearts. Do you know that? Band's going to come up right now. We're going to finish the morning, but we're not finished. Because I wonder what God might be saying to you today in this place. I wonder if you were to take home one of these and colour it in yourself, maybe one of the grown-ups here. And if you were to think about your own life, like John was doing earlier today. What he might speak to you about. Paul writes in the Bible, a follower of Jesus, don't become weary of doing good works because there are time in God's economy when he'll pull it all together. When heaven comes to earth 
And no small act, no small deed, no small kindness will be lost in his economy or his sight. I wonder in the quietly loud if we need to hit a reset button. In our schools, in our homes, in our society. And to say, if I was known for being not just wishy-washy, more innocent like a dove and more shrewd as a serpent, lavishly dosed, caramelized with kindness. How that might shift something. So here in the moment, I'd like to pray and allow God to minister to you. habit, you call yourself a Jesus follower and those little conversations with people walking in the street, that little prayer has become a foreign thing to you, then my challenge to you is reclaim the habit and get into the practice of saying, Jesus, what do you want me to do in this situation? And to respond accordingly. wonder if you need to be caramelized with kindness because you're shouting too much at the television the television is becoming your talking partner and you're grumpy or maybe just the people you come across you're known as the There's a time to get grumpy. And there's a time to be gracious. I think we're heading into a stage in our culture where we need to do some reclaiming of things. It begins here. So if you'd like to receive prayer, I'm going to pray right now that it might be just for you. Father, in this place, I ask right now, just as we pause, that you might fill individuals afresh with your powerful presence, Holy Spirit, that you might give us fresh eyes, fresh minds, fresh hearts for you. If that's you here right now and that's your prayer, you might just want to open your hands or say, God, that's me. Would you help me? Maybe you're here in this place and you are in a place right now you don't know, should I be loud or quiet? And you need to bring that before God. So right now, if that's you, join with me. God, here in this place, I just want to bring this circumstance before you. I don't know what to do. Would you give me your wisdom? Help me to be shrewd and innocent and lavished with kindness. How do you want me to act? As he nudges you, respond. Or maybe here in this morning you actually say, Jesus, I want to follow you. 
That's what you're on about. I want to follow you afresh. I want to follow you for the first time. Then why don't you respond with me now? Jesus, come into my life afresh and fill me. I choose here in this time, this moment right now, Sunday morning, to follow you. Would you fill me with your very presence so that I will reflect you authentically and faithfully in this complicated, confused, sometimes cold world until you return? prayed that this morning, I'd invite you to share that with someone because that's the beginning of a journey that's eternal. Father, here in this place, as we sing this song, Amazing Love, would you fill us afresh? Would you fill anyone whose hearts and minds are open to you this morning with your amazing love that was declared through your son, Jesus, who died and rose from the dead to save me? Give me a fresh picture of that this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you join with me in singing this song? Let's stand together.